as a visionary, I love vision and I love entrepreneurship. I love success stories of people who had an idea and brought it into fruition. Uh, whether it's Splash, we all want to be Mark, but we didn't want to be Mark in the early days. Or McArdle's Florist, how many times did they want to get out of it? Or Shushu, that's led by Kathy Samford. We love the outcome, but the beginning is really difficult. Uh, we all recognize the name today, Robert Mondavi. Did anybody not recognize that name? <laughs> it's hard to believe that his winery only began in the late 1960s. He had a vision to bring this winery into a state that it would lead the way. And actually today, the Mandavi wineries lead the industry in California. People look to them. But there were some difficult times in the early days. There were moments when he wondered if he was going to get to the next stage. About the third year, they were really excited because they had two dry weeks in September. It gets the wine to that perfect sugar level. And you need to pick the grapes at the right time. So the day had come and they'd prepared. And so in typical fashion, he uh, wanted to supplement the labor. And so he went into town to the 7-Eleven. And there were a bunch of day workers who were there. And he had already gotten a reputation as being a fair employer. And so several people were excited to come with him. He took a group of them and he, they agreed that he would give them $100. Well, in the 60s, $100 for a day's work was amazing. And they were really excited about this, and so they came out. He gave them to um, the supervisor of the winery. He went back to his office, and all of a sudden, he started getting reports about a shift in the weather. They thought they were going to have three days to bring the harvest in, but all of a sudden, a cold snap was coming and cold rain, which will absolutely destroy the product. So in his mind, he said, I've got to get more labor. So he went back to the 7-Eleven, and there were a number of people who hadn't been hired, and so he invited them to work, and they had heard about the offer of $100. And he said, I can't tell you what I'll pay you, but you, I want you to know I'll be fair to you. Would you come? And a group of them came to work in the vineyard. Now, you can imagine the momentum as the foreman's trying to bring this in. And when Mandavi's back in his office, he gets a report that the winds are traveling faster than they expected, that actually the storm is going to arrive the very next day. So he goes back to the 7-Eleven two more times and gets workers and brings them to the winery. Uh, he met with the foreman about 3 o'clock, and the foreman said, this is great. We're going to be close, but I don't think we're going to make it. Can you just get me somebody else? And so Mandavi went back at 5 o'clock, and now the only people in the parking lot, there's no more day workers. If you haven't gotten a job by 5 o'clock, you go home, you're disappointed. Now it's all the potheads and the beer-drinking people wasting their time. And Mondavi says, if you'll come work for me, I'll give you a fair price just for about an hour's work, but if we can wrap this up, it's going to be an incredible day. They came, they brought the full harvest in. This was a banner turning year. It's an amazing story to think about this happening. And Mondavi then, loving to honor his day workers, took envelopes, and he began putting Chris's $20 bills in the envelope. He knew what it was like not to have dignity in life, and he liked those people to open their envelope and have those Chris's $20 bills after working so hard. And he said to the foreman, you go out and you begin paying them, but pay the people that I hired last first. 
So the foreman pulls out, and he invites all the people, and they're waiting in line, and he hands them. And the people that came at 5 o'clock started opening their envelopes, and they're counting the bills, and they had heard that Mondavi pays $100 per day, and they're thinking, this guy's amazing. Some of them got out of there quickly because they, they were afraid that he was going to realize he made a mistake, and they'd gotten the wrong envelopes. But some of it, it was too good. They began talking about it, and the other people began hearing about it. Now, the people who were hired at 3 o'clock and at noon at 9 o'clock, and certainly the people in the beginning, began calculating in their minds. They started saying, if he gave $100 to those people at the end, surely he's going to give us more. And in fact, if it's by an hourly rate, the people at 6 in the morning are starting to think, I'm going to get $1,200 for this day. I mean, that's really what's fair. So the foreman kept giving out money, but for the people who came at 3 o'clock, even though they were promised a fair wage, knowing $100 would be for the full day, they'd work three hours, which was three more than the people that worked one hour. They weren't really happy with their $100. Then the people at noon were even less happy and began drumming. Well, you can imagine when the people who came in the morning who got $100 received their money, they were livid. What's wrong with this Mondavi guy? I want to speak to him. Well, the foreman said, he's the owner of this place. You'll, you'll have to take it up with him. So they went and got Robert Mondavi. Mondavi came out, and he looked at the people who had worked for a whole day, and he said, so what's the problem? He said, this isn't right. You gave those potheads and beer drinking and tattooed crazy people $100, and you're only giving us $100 as well. And Mondavi looked at them and said, what was our agreement? Well, that's not right. That's not fair that you would give them 100 and you'd give me 100. Mondavi looked at him and said, well, I'm a little bit like God. I'm not stupid. I may be crazy, but I'm not stupid. I'm not giving you more than we agreed to. And they pressed him so much, he looked at them and he said, hey, Buster, I gave you what I agreed to. Take your money, and I'm such a good guy, get a glass of Chardonnay on your way out, but get off the property. <laughs> now, none of that's true. <laughs> Some of you, I had you for a while, didn't I? <laughs> but when I mentioned the foreman, you knew where I was going with that. I wanted you to experience the story the way Jesus told it. It's just written down with the basic elements, but knowing Jesus and how winsome he was, he would have been putting details into it. People would have been asking these questions, what's behind this story? We're in the middle of this series, stories that Jesus is telling. Now, I want to remind you, they're outrageous, they're unpredictable, and they're overwhelming because they overwhelm us with God's love and they overwhelm us with what happens when we become taken over by God's love and we operate according to kingdom principles. Now, we saw last week that we would miss the importance of the story if we didn't know details about sheep and those kinds of things and to whom Jesus was speaking. Remember, last week's was directed towards the Pharisees. Well, this week, you don't need to know any more details about wine. I mean, the story is pretty obvious. Our sense of fairness as Americans is even greater than the sense of fairness of people in Jesus' time. In fact, we're obnoxiously fair. <laughs> fair is not a commodity that the rest of the world looks for. 
it's understood in the rest of the world that fair is not a reality. Life is not fair. And so when Jesus is putting this forward, this would have been something that would have been pretty obvious to them. But there's something in the previous chapter that Jesus is responding to. You see, Jesus met this young rich ruler who asked him, how do I get into the kingdom of God? And basically, in the discussion, we discover nobody can get into the kingdom of God. It's impossible for man, but all things are possible with God. It's interesting. That came up, and that's, isn't that great? Oh, I love when God does this. All things are possible for God. And so, after this is all over, Peter looks at Jesus, and he says, okay, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. What's in it for us? Do you get it? Do you see why Matthew has put the story here? And then Jesus tells them this kingdom of God parable that Godonomics is different than all of our economics. That the way God operates just doesn't make sense. And he's giving us a picture of the just the amazing character of God. So what's my so what this morning? Here it is. God is not fair. God is not fair. If He were, we would all go to hell. I'm a monster like the man who gave his testimony today. At the very core of who I am is rebellion and a desire to do it my own way. And if God were fair, it wouldn't be looking good for me. God's not fair. Paul says this in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does that mean in light of the fact that he says the wages of sin is death? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. All of us deserve death. We all do. Even the best of us. If you're out here thinking, well, Chuck, you just don't understand, my life is pretty good compared to someone down the road. Isaiah the prophet says this, even your righteous works are like filthy rags compared to the glory of God. At my best... At my very best, it doesn't even come close to the glory of God. But the bottom line in our world is we live in a world of merit, and it doesn't really match up to God's world, which is a world of grace. It's never fair. I just hate the concept of fair. I really do. I felt it as a kid. I can remember my parents telling me about how the fact that my sister had seven gifts and I only had four, and they wanted me to know that mine cost more because she had more than... And as a kid, it drove me crazy. I instinctually knew life wasn't fair. I was a lot more handsome than the next guy. Somewhat equal in talent and certainly much less intelligent on the whole process of things. Life isn't fair. But in God's grace, He turns it upside down. 
We live in a world that wants fairness. We believe that we have certain things coming to us if we do the right things. When I first came to Stanwich, one of the big books out on the scene that day was the book, uh, The Secret. Is that the name of it? You know, what you put out will come back to you. Do you know what that is? That's Buddhism. That's karma. I am so glad it doesn't work that way because the boomerang coming back at me isn't looking too good. It's all God's grace. This is a story about the outrageous nature of God. It's a story about how He blesses the people you're not expecting Him to bless. I think it's appropriate that one of Jesus' final phrases is, tonight you will be, or today you will be with me in paradise. Who is He speaking that to? Yeah, the criminal on the cross. Praise the Lord that we don't live in a spiritual world of merit. We live in a spiritual world of grace. And it calls me to live differently. Someone has said that the parables are houses, spiritual houses that Jesus has built and he invites us to come live inside them. That's why parables are so powerful. Those of us who have been cheated or treated unfairly could identify with the 6 a.m. workers, couldn't we? Yeah, we thought, sure, at least give them $120, six crisp $20 bills. They worked longer. It's about the outrageous character of God. Uh, the sermon title is The Laborers in the Vineyard. Wrong sermon title. It should be The Ridiculous Landowner. And the fact that our Bibles are still broken up with that title shows us we still don't get it. The people that translated the ESV are incredibly intelligent, theologically deep people, and they still put the title of this passage, The Laborers in the Vineyard. It's not about the laborers in the vineyards. It's about the gracious landowner who can do whatever he wants with it but decides to pour it out on us in blessing. Woo! That was a Holy Spirit chill. <laughs> How can God do this if He's a God of justice? Let me remind you, God hates evil more than you and I hate evil. God hates sin more than you and I hate evil. He is a God of wrath and is looking to wipe sin out completely. So what does God do? He takes sin upon himself and he kills himself to take wrath right to the grave. And then he rises victoriously over it. That is our message. And that is liberating. That is the generosity of God poured over every one of us. So what's my now what this morning? Don't play fair. Irregardless of what your parents told you when you were little, do not play fair. Being overwhelmed by the generosity of God, overwhelm people with your generosity. Generosity of thinking more highly of them than yourselves. 
Generosity is not judging the stuff in them because when you're judging the stuff in them, all you're doing is judging the stuff in yourself. Generosity to bless them with this good news that they don't have to play with the merit system any longer. You've got a crazy, wild vineyard owner and he wants to pop the cork for you. Amen. Let us begin.